0: Yeah, Justin's taller than me. There, there we go. Well, good morning. morning. Would you open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 today? And we are going to talk about something that I wholeheartedly believe every single person in this room can relate to, work. Whether we like it or not we all work in one sense or another. If you're a teenager or a student, you're still working uh, to perform according to that which your facilitator or teacher has expected you. You say, well, I'm a stay-at-home parent. Well, you are working very hard, harder than just about everybody else to raise that child or those children in a manner that's pleasing God. If you have a normal stereotypical job, hopefully you're working with the right perspective in mind. And today we're going to look at it, and we're going to look at a passage that sometimes can be a little confusing. Uh, But we need to remember the context of who Paul is writing to. He's writing to the church and the surrounding areas of the churches in Colossae. And first he's been talking about the idea of what's it like to follow God in the home and in every area of life. So he's talked about wives and husbands and parents and children and all of these wonderful things that are just basic foundations for how we walk through life. And then he gets to something that's very interesting, and that's where we find ourselves this morning. Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 22. You're not going to be real comfortable with the first word, and that's okay. Give us a few minutes. We'll flesh it out, and I believe that you'll find there's a lot... TO BE LEARNED FROM WHAT PAUL HAD TO SAY WHEN WE UNDERSTAND THE CONTEXT WITH WHICH HE WAS WRITING. HE SAYS THIS, SLAVES, OBEY YOUR EARTHLY MASTERS IN EVERYTHING, AND DO IT NOT ONLY WHEN THEIR EYE IS ON YOU, AND TO WIN THEIR FAVOR, BUT WITH SINCERITY OF HEART AND REVERENCE FOR THE LORD. FOR WHATEVER YOU DO, WORK AT IT WITH ALL YOUR HEART, AS WORKING FOR THE LORD, NOT FOR MEN. SINCE YOU KNOW THAT YOU WILL RECEIVE AN INHERITANCE FROM THE LORD AS A REWARD, It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And finally, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Lord, as we dig into your word this morning, would you guide our thoughts, our hearts, and would you transform us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, today we pray. Amen. Well, work is certainly something we're familiar with. Uh, whether we're comfortable with it or not, most of us have it. The New York Times earlier this year and over the past few years did a survey, uh, tried to go across all of America and all over the world to find out why people hate going to work. And that was that was the premise. And, and so then in, March, in May 30th of this year, the title of the article was, Why People Hate Working. And this is the conclusion they came to. Employees are vastly more satisfied and productive, it turns out, when four of their core needs are met. Great, business here. We've got to learn this, we've got to understand this, and we've got to make this work. Physical, through opportunities to, regular, to regularly renew and recharge at work. Great, so we should all provide gyms and let our employees w- work out at work. Number two, emotional, by feeling valued and appreciated for their contributions. You did a good job today. Well done. Mental, when they have the opportunity to focus in an absorbed way on their most important tasks and define when and where they get their work done. In other words, I know what I'm supposed to be doing and how to do it. And finally, spiritual, by doing more of what they do best and enjoy most. And by feeling connected, hmm. Now this is a secular magazine. This is the New York Times Sunday edition by feeling connected to a higher purpose at work. Even secular sociologists get the idea that for work to be successful, it has to be more than about us. But yet when we work today, typically we work with a couple of assumptions one we've got to work to make sure that our family is provided for and that's not wrong many of you find yourselves working today for just that purpose and that's not a bad thing we should do all of our work to help provide and care for others that's a good thing but it's not the only thing others of you provide so that you can get wealthy and stop working (laughs) you know what great If your focus is on the right thing and he's giving you wealth and you can enjoy that and use that to glorify God in what you do, excellent. But see, often we find those two things at the heart of why we work and we miss a bigger picture. Today I want us to look to the scriptures and I want us to consider why work is so significant to you, to who you and I are. But before we do that, I want to remind us of what the gospel is. YOU REMEMBER? CAN ANYBODY TELL ME WITHOUT LOOKING? IT'S POWERFUL. OKAY, GOOD. IT'S POWERFUL. IT'S TRANSFORMATIONAL. GOOD. TRANSFORMING. AND IT'S TO BE LIVED OUT. GREAT. IF YOU WERE PAYING ATTENTION TO ANYTHING GOING ON TODAY, PRAISE GOD WE HAVE PEOPLE IN THIS CHURCH THAT HAVE BEEN POWERFULLY CHANGED BY GOD TO LIVE OUT HIS PURPOSE FOR THEIR LIVES. We've got a team that goes to a prison every other week to invest in the lives of women that God says we, the church, are to care for. And 14 of those women, 15 of those women came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is the gospel at work. We had a young woman in our church that we love dearly say, God, if you can work it out, I'll obey and God used her in mighty ways. She said, here I am. Here's my life. I'll go where you want. But I want us to consider whether we understand the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ today. And I asked somebody else to help me figure that out. So if you would turn your attention to the screen and listen to a great perspective on the gospel as we consider who we are as workers for Christ.
1: The Gospel is that there is this infinite, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful Creator God that created all things for His glory. And you and I have belittled that, belittled His name, belittled His glory, every one of us have at one time or another or actually currently believed that our way is better than God's. we fail to acknowledge give him glory for the gifts he's given us we question his rule and his authority while at the same time doing that with the brain he gave us and holds together and the lungs and the air that he gave us to breathe with This is the great blasphemy of the universe. So we've all belittled God, and God being just right and holy is not going to allow the belittlement of his name. God then, not being able to spare wrath, sends Christ in the flesh and crushes him. And in so doing, pours out his wrath against the children of God onto the Son, killing him then God raises him from the dead and that same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work and those who believe this is the gospel that you and I have right standing before God not by our efforts not by our works not by our skill not by whether or not we cuss or don't cuss drink or don't drink watch this, don't watch this do this, don't do that justified before God by the cross of Christ alone your lust You're not going to be able to fix it. Your bitterness, you're not going to be able to fix it. Your rage, anger, those deviances that have been following you around, you don't possess the power of life and death. You can't resurrect anything. Christ can. That's the good news. That's why we don't celebrate us. That's why we continually celebrate Him boast in the cross and the cross alone, the same power that is at work in raising Christ from the dead is at work in me and work in all who believe. This is the gospel.
0: The power of God raised Jesus from the dead to conquer sin once for all and continues to be at work in you and I if we believe in Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. That same good news of Jesus calls us to an attitude of work that might be slightly different than what the world says. Because at the end of the day, God cares deeply about your retirement, your eternal retirement. He says, don't worry about how you're going to eat or what you're going to do if you're following me. I can take care of the birds. I can dress the flowers. I've got you covered. Don't worry about the rest of this. Follow me. But this idea of work, we have begun to believe somehow that work is not of God. That work is something we have to do because of the fall. We jump straight to the fact that Adam was told because of his sin that he would have to toil hard to produce crops. And that is true. But that is not where the idea of work was instituted. If you open into your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, you'll see something. Okay, and if you looked at older translations in Genesis 2, you'd see words like dominion and whatnot. But Genesis 2.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along with the ground. Let's just think for a minute, even, we're not going to get into the Hebrew and the etymology and all that. Let's think for a second about ruling others. Do you just sit back and do nothing and then shake your hands once in a while and everything works? Is that some of your leadership styles? No, if you are called to take care of, oversee, rule over somebody else, you've got to take care of the job, correct? That kind of sounds like work to me. Even before the fall, and you'll come, when you get to the gospel and life section on work, you'll discuss this more. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But even before the fall, God created man to oversee the world he had created. So we know that man and woman w- alongside were created to work for someone, not for themselves, but for God. God. Not only that, but if you go down to Genesis chapter 2, I read you from Genesis 1, sorry I misspoke. Genesis 2, 2 tells us something about God that I find very interesting as we consider the idea that we have to work. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. God had been working? Yep. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. We just learned that you and I, and hopefully we already knew this, you and I were made in the image of God. That is amazing. God made you on purpose. Fearfully and wonderfully made, you are his creation and he loves you. And he says, be like my son, follow me. Follow the example of my son to grow more like me. And in so doing, he left us an example that showed God working hard and even resting. Let's fast forward a lot of years and think about the culture we find ourselves in today. Hong Kong is arguably one of the fastest paced societies in the entire world. This is not Mike saying that. This is timeless research, or not timeless research, countless amounts of data out there saying Hong Kongers work longer, work harder, and spend more time at work than just about anywhere else in the world. There's a few exceptions, Tokyo uh, and a couple other places. But if you walk up to somebody, you've heard me say this before, and you say, how are you doing? What is the Hong Kong answer? No, it's not fine. Busy. We wear it like a crown that if we are in Hong Kong and you can't prove that every second of every day is either going to a class, studying, doing more work, or getting more money, you're a failure. And we have passed that on to our children. You ever look at kids today? They're exhausted because we're running them around to death thinking that they can somehow earn their worth in this world. And we've missed it. Even God himself I don't know about you, but I think creating anything is difficult. I tried to hang some shelves last week before my parents arrived. They are crooked. They are off. And one fell off on my wife the other day. It took work to hang those shelves wrong. It was a failure and I missed it. Yet God, in His infinite perfection and goodness, created the very world we live in. Look around you. We live in a place where God brought the seas, the mountains, and the sky together and gave us this beautiful land we get to live in. And then he gave us brains to figure out how to squeeze almost 8 million people into a land that shouldn't fit that many. And then we say, what a good job we did. We've taken credit for the work of God. We have to consider whom we're working for the first thing we need to know is that we're working with the right perspective. And when we work with the right perspective, we turn to the words of the Apostle Paul and listen to what he told us. He told us first that we've got to remember who it is we work for. Second, and we're going to unpack these pretty quickly this morning. We've got to obey with sincerity, with singleness of heart and mind. We've got to obey those that God has put in authority over us. Third, we've got to, as we talked about last week, God is a God of justice. And that goes both ways. Not only does His wrath have to be poured out on sin, which was done through the finished work of Jesus Christ... But he cares and he calls his people to take care of the oppressed, the beaten down, the beaten up, the prisoners, the aliens, the least of these. He says to treat others with fairness and justice, the same two words we looked at last week. And then finally, and yes, it's a, second, it's a different section in your Bibles, but the thought continues. Paul didn't just shift gears completely. I think he was continuing on, showing us how we are to carry ourselves in this world we find ourselves. And he said, you've got to devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful, guard against false teaching, guard against the schemes of this world. And you've got to be thankful, because this life you lead... This world you find yourselves in, God gave it to you. He says, I've got a plan for you if you'll but follow me. Why couldn't we be thankful for that? But you see what happens is we get caught up in the toil, in the lack of justice, in the lack of security, in the wanting more, and we lose sight of the perspective of, of God who himself is the hardest worker will ever experience we think that work is about us or as employers we think that our employees should work to make us happy to do things our way and sometimes that has to be the case but what if we asked our employees to work for a greater purpose a greater God than ourselves and that's what we want to look at today I want to read you something that I think helps us as we consider what we're asking of those of us that are find ourselves as working men and women. Because in society we've said we value work just as long as we do it on our own terms, right? Well, this was an announcement posted to a series of employees not so long ago. To all employees, due to increased competition and a desire to stay in business, we find it necessary to institute a new policy. Many of you have gotten similar emails, correct? We love new policies. They mean more work for us. And typically when we respond to those, what's the first thing we do? Grumble or complain, correct? More work. We are asking that somewhere between starting and quitting time and without infringing too much on the time usually devoted to lunch periods, coffee breaks, rest periods, storytelling, ticket selling, vacation planning, and the rehashing of yesterday's TV shows, each employee endeavor to find some time that can be set aside and known as work break. Did you get that? I think we're a little sleepy today. You see, what happens when we go to work in our own strength, and our own volition, we get caught, we make sure we take every minute of our lunch break, we make sure we catch up on all of the goings and comings of our friends and what's on TV, and all those things are fine. But sometimes we forget to do actually what we've been hired to do. And in so doing, we work with the wrong perspective. We walk into work expecting ourselves to be happy rather than working for the glory of God, our Father who is in heaven. And that if we do that, that then our joy will be complete as His is complete. What fulfills you at work? Well, it starts with remembering who you work for. Look at what Paul teaches us. Now, he was writing, and he, he wrote the word slaves. The ESV, if you read the English Standard Version, says bond servants. Now, it's hard for us to relate to this idea of slavery today. Because we think, well, one, why would Paul even condone something like slavery? And notice he's not condoning something there. He's responding to a societal norm. He's not saying it's right or wrong. He's saying this is the society you live on. Because by the way, in Roman society at this time and age when Paul was writing, over 50% of the human beings in Roman culture were slaves. YOU COULD BE A DOCTOR, YOU COULD BE A SUCCESSFUL BANKER, BUT YOU WERE OWNED BY ANOTHER HUMAN BEING. YOU WERE UNDER THE RESPONSIBILITY AND CARE OF ANOTHER. PAUL WAS ADDRESSING THE FACT THAT THE REALITY IS NOT EVERYONE HAS BEEN TRANSFORMED BY THE GOSPEL OF JESUS CHRIST AND YOU WILL FIND YOURSELVES IN DIFFICULT OR UNCOMFORTABLE SITUATIONS. AND EVEN IN THE WORST OF THOSE SITUATIONS, GOD EXPECTS MORE FROM US. NOW LET'S FAST FORWARD AGAIN 2,000 YEARS. And we may not understand slavery quite the same way, though research says that there are more humans being trafficked and enslaved today than ever before in the history of mankind. But backing off from that, when you started a new place of employment, did you not sign a piece of paper? Was there not the official Hong Kong stamp on that piece of paper? And was that not called a contract with which you would be governed by no matter what? Yes. None of you sign contracts? Some of you don't. Uh, If you own your own business, you probably didn't make a contract for yourself. But for the rest of us, by and large, when we start employment, we sign a binding contract. Do we not? Now, am I a slave to all of you? Only in Christ. But while you are my employers, I still have to seek to work in a manner that glorifies God and shows you Him. If you are working in a home and your job is to clean toilets, can you do that in a manner that's glorifying God? If you are a banker and you are around nothing but corrupt human beings every day of your life, And they tell you to skim a little off the side, can you somehow work in a manner that brings glory to God? If you work in a situation where your boss is the biggest jerk in the world and you don't agree with his morals, you don't agree with his character, and you don't like the way he or she looks, can you work in a manner that's glorifying to God? And the answer is yes. Is it in the same way 18 men gathered yesterday at a home and I wrestled with the idea, can we be confident and humble at the same time? Yes, when our work and our confidence is to the Lord and not to man. So how do we do it? How do we remember whom we work for? Well, Paul gives us something interesting. He says that when you work, even if your master, he's implying here that no matter what your master is like, Work with sincerity of heart and reverence for your employer. Oops, somebody's got a text. That was perfect. If that's your employer, tell them you're studying about Jesus, you'll get back to them. With sincerity of heart. What does that mean? The idea of sincerity of heart means single-minded focus on the task at hand. Singleness of heart. Focus. Focus. You've heard me talk about tennis and growing up learning to play tennis. You've also heard me say that concentration is not my strength in life. <laughs> when I would play tennis as a teenager, uh, my mom and dad were faithful, faithful cheerers on of me. Regardless of how I played, they would support me. But sometimes my mom would notice that my attention might be on the grass or on the other courts. And my mom would do something very simple. BECAUSE SHE WANTED ME TO PLAY TENNIS EVEN WITH A SINCERITY OF HEART AND MIND. AND SO SHE WOULD JUST STAND THERE, AND THIS IS IT. SHE WOULD DO THAT. AND IT WAS AN IMAGINARY SIGN THAT SAID, FOCUS. (laughs) FOCUS ON THE TASK AT HAND. WHAT ABOUT US? WHEN WE GO INTO WORK TOMORROW, I'M TAKING TOMORROW OFF, THE REST OF YOU. WHEN YOU GO INTO WORK TOMORROW, ARE YOU FOCUSED ON WHAT MATTERS? On bringing glory to God through the efforts you can put into any job, no matter how big or small. And the second thing there is this idea of reverence for the Lord. We've, over time, kind of scaled down what it means to understand the fear of the Lord. And I would love to preach a whole sermon on that, but I don't have time today. But I want you to understand, phabeo, the Greek word used here for that you work with sincerity and reverence for God, fear of the Lord. That's where the word phobia comes from. Well, So you're telling me, Mike, that I should be afraid of God and my earthly master, whomever I'm working for? Not exactly. Yes, you should be afraid of God because his wrath is complete. And sin destroys and kills us. That should scare you to no end, to know that there are people dying a Christless eternity. That should motivate us to action. But as Christian workers, what does the fear of the Lord look like? Think about it like this. I don't think, we have a lot of highly intelligent people in the room, but I don't think right now we have any aerospace engineers, people that are building space shuttles, right? If you are, just go with me for a minute. If a person is building a spaceship that is meant to travel out into outer space and carry humans and support life for a season of time, they're not going to do their job half-heartedly, correct? Because one little mistake can have deadly consequences, correct? You make the littlest mistake in putting a wire together on a spaceship or even thinking about an airplane mechanic. We want those airplane mechanics not to be talking about their personal lives while they're working on that jet engine, correct? Because when I get on that plane, I want to know that the guy wasn't smoking and talking to his friends about his personal life. He was concentrated, focused fully on making sure that plane can carry those passengers and not crash to the ground. There is a holy fear and responsibility with that work, right? In the same way, if we understand our position is justified by Christ, when we work, regardless of the level of the job, we work with a holy fear that says, I want God to be pleased with my work, I want him to be able to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I dare not risk the consequences of not doing everything for his glory. You're not working for yourself. I'm not working for myself. I'm working, just as Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Because it is the Lord Christ you are serving. I do not want you to raise your hand, but some of you may have bosses that are difficult to work for. And especially if you're my staff, please don't raise your hands. (laughs) There are times when our earthly masters can be difficult to work with. That's why Paul reminds us of who we're ultimately working for. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It is not your retirement fund. It is not the thoughts and ideas of others. It is for the glory of God through the person of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember who we work for as you carry on what God has created you to do. The second thing that Paul teaches us is an interesting one. He says, obey with sincerity. We already talked about that idea of sincerity of mind, the singleness of mind. Obey your earthly masters and everything and do it. Remember, you are not... EXPECTED TO OBEY GOD'S WORD BY BREAKING THE LAW. IF YOUR EARTHLY MASTER SAYS EMBEZZLE 20 MILLION DOLLARS FROM YOUR CLIENT, DON'T DO IT. THAT'S AGAINST THE LAW. BUT YOU ARE TO OBEY YOUR MASTERS AND FULFILL THE DUTIES YOU HAVE BEEN HIRED OR EMPLOYED TO CARRY OUT. AND PAUL GOES ON, NOT ONLY WHEN THEIR EYE IS ON YOU AND TO WIN THEIR FAVOR. INTERESTING. GO BACK INTO THE OLD TESTAMENT AND REMEMBER A GUY NAMED JOSEPH. YOU REMEMBER THE STORY OF JOSEPH? Joseph had this history of, one, speaking and telling everybody what God had told him at the wrong times. Timing wasn't his strength. But he also worked incredibly hard, whether no one was looking or not. Even to the point where, because he was a good-looking man and a hard worker, and Pharaoh had entrusted everything in his kingdom to him, the wife of Pharaoh said, i got to have some of that. And in that moment, nobody was looking. There was no one to question the integrity of Joseph. And he had a choice. Now, according to, God's, according to man's standards, he could have continued on and successfully probably continued climbing the ranks of social status in Egypt. But he had to make a choice. Am I going to do it at the expense of God's law? At the expense of what is right just to carry on my own career? Joseph chose not to do that. Joseph chose instead to run, leaving his cloak behind. If you're running away, take your clothes with you. It's a good idea. But second, Joseph was more concerned about the glory and approval of God than he was the glory and approval of man. And he ended up in prison because he did the right thing. God doesn't promise us that following his way will always be the easy thing. He promises us that his way is always the best way. And we saw how God's plan for humanity through the people of Israel extended to us was carried out through the obedience of Joseph and his family thousands of years later. I was told a story growing up of another scenario. In about 1977, a man worked for Rockwell uh, The Rockwell Company, they made kitchen fixings and whatnot. I don't know. I don't, the company's not around anymore. But at the time, they were quite successful. And this man was an accountant for them. And his goal was by the time he hit 40 to be a millionaire. And he was on pace to do just that. But God got a hold of his life. And in so doing, this man felt like there was more to his life than just making money and taking care of his family. He just had a son. He had a seven-year-old daughter at the time, but he and his wife sought the mind of God. They sought the eldership of their church, and they felt like the best thing for them to do was to go a completely different direction. You see, because they had given God a blank check with their lives and said, we will do what you want us to do. And so in 1979, they moved the family from where they were all the way down to a Bible college so that the man could study what it meant to be involved in full-time ministry as a pastor. 35 years later, that man is still involved in pastoral ministry. Not only that, but he set a legacy for others to follow, including his son. Because my dad said yes to the Lord. He said, I will go where you tell me, Lord. With no money into a very difficult first church circumstance. And he obeyed God and said, I'll go where you take me. So that when Hong Kong called me and said, we think you should come, you mean sell everything and move across the world? Yes. It wasn't a big risk because I had seen it done in the legacy of my parents and I could follow the example set before me to go where God was leading. We obey with sincerity and singleness of mind and fear of the Lord, not wanting to do anything but follow his way. Talk to my mom and dad after church. Get to know them. They're amazing people. But his concern as a parent, as a husband, and as a disciple of Jesus Christ was more on the favor of God than the favor of man. Is ours? Are you more concerned about other things? Will we obey with sincerity the path the Lord has taken for us? Then interestingly, Paul shifts gears. He gives a few more verses about remembering to do what is right. Always doing what is right. And I've touched on that and I've given you the illustration. You know what we should do. You make the right choice and you follow God. How do we do that? We trust that he will guide us in those times. And then he flips it and he talks to employers. He talks to masters. And he says, Masters, and it's interesting that he uses the same words that are consistently throughout scriptures. Treat your slaves, your bond servants, your employees fairly and justly. What did Micah teach us last week? Micah taught us that we ought to live... What we ought to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Same root words are used here by Paul telling masters what they should do as they lead others. You should treat others with fairness and justice. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This meant beyond just paying them. It's true here that often in all circles of life people choose not to pay their employees because they would rather spend their money elsewhere that's a horrible thing and it's not only disobedient and illegal it's disobedient to what god has called us if we bring others into our employ we got to take care of them god has given us an opportunity to shepherd them physically one of those core needs that the new york times and abraham maslow discovered are important But he also tells us that we've got to treat them with fairness and with justice, with what is right. And sometimes that means us as employers might have to make sacrifices to do what is the right thing. And many of you have done just that. But when you think about those that you work with, are you committed to their well-being? Are you committed to their spiritual growth wherever they are in the journey? Do they see Christ in you, the hope of glory? I have a friend that was in my wedding. He is arguably one of the biggest men I have ever met. And he's a giant teddy bear. But he's a man with tremendous vision. And a few years ago, we were chatting, and he's like, Mike, you know, I love coffee. I'm like, I'm with you there, buddy. And at the time, he was wondering, he'd been sent with his family to be missionaries in Russia. And he's like, we want to get... To people, And we want to get into their lives, but it's tough and it's not easy and there's a lot of challenges to do it. He said, but I love coffee and I want to teach myself how to roast my own beans because I think that maybe if I could just open up a coffee shop, we could have access to more people. About eight years later, a, a thing exists in a certain part of Russia that I'm not going to tell you for their own safety, but Global Grounds Russia exists. And the interesting thing about it is they grew out of their space, their rent changed, and so they had to move into a bigger space. But the great thing is they're not just in it to make good coffee and to make people happy and to interact with their customers. That's only secondary to what they do. Their core is what they do with their employees that they work with. They love them, they show them Jesus Christ, and they invest in all areas of their lives. In fact, his wife, my friend's wife, even does Zumba with them. Do you know what Zumba is? It's some sort of weird thing where you dance and exercise and sweat a lot and do not you will never find me doing it. But it works. And those employees in that community they find themselves in love going to Global Grounds Russia. And in so doing, they see the reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. It's living out the good news of Jesus Christ in every area of life. My friends could just go plant a church and hope for the best in a region that is very anti-Jesus right now. But instead they said, how can we walk along others and guide them in the way? And in so doing, churches have been born and people's lives have been transformed. The ethos is not that we should care about our employees. The ethos is, is that we care about the glory of God and he tells us to love justice and love mercy and dispense it to others. You've been treated unfairly so you want to do that to others? And God's saying, no, get past that. Well, how do you do it? How do you obey a problematic boss with sincerity of heart and fear of the Lord? How do you as an employee treat your, employ- uh, your employer... How do you as an employer treat your employee with justice and fairness when they're lazy? When they talk about you negatively? When they're toxic to the environment? Well, you're not going to do it on your own. Just as that clip we showed at the beginning, you cannot resurrect a bad situation. No matter how hard you and I try to fix things, on our own strength, it's not going to happen. You will fail 100% of the time. Our batting average, if you follow American baseball, our batting average as personal saviors is zero. We've never even made contact with the ball and we never will. But God hit a home run. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ, took on the wrath of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that the glory of God may be revealed in us. And so how do we get that perspective that says, I'm going to work tomorrow with joy and with thanksgiving because of who God is, not because of my situation? Well, there you go. You just answered your own question. You're going to do it like this. You're going to first follow the wisdom of a guy that basically sat around and thought for his whole life, Immanuel Kant. And he says, always recognize that human individuals are ends and do not use them as a means to an end. Tomorrow, when you go into work, you don't look at that person you work with as a person that can help you get the job done. You look at him as a human being that is loved by God and valued by Him. Remember what God told us through His Son Jesus in Matthew chapter seven. He says, "You are valuable." So is the person next to you. So is the hard person you work with. Some of you have told me you can't stand or you even hate your boss or the person you work for. What if you looked at them with the eyes of Jesus that says, I will love them because Christ first loved me and God hates sin and I'm a sinner. And if I think about that, the logical conclusion is that God would have to hate me outside of the work of Jesus Christ in my life. You with me? What if we looked at it like that? I bet you your workplace would be a different environment, not because your boss changed, but because your heart changed. Then there's one more thing we can do to help guide us in this journey, and it's pretty simple. We're going to skip that one for today. And we're going to do this. You see, Paul continued on his thought. And he said, if you want to have the right perspective, you're not going to do it in your own strength. Some of us look at our, look around and say, yes, I'm going to work hard today and I'm going to do it all in I, 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 I. <laughs> and you know what? God expects you to work hard. God expects you to do that job to the best of your ability. But he wants to be the one to give you the strength to do it. He invites you to be empowered by him through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And how do we get to that place? We devote ourselves to prayer. Some days you go into work and you just have to say, God, help me. I need you today. And not only that, but we watch for things that can trip us up. God, open my eyes to things that will point me away from you and point others away from you and help me be an agent of change in those situations. And third. Be thankful that God has seen fit to look after you no matter your circumstance. God has given you a family right here at AIC that wants to love you and walk with you in the journey. God has given you people in your lives that care for you. God, for many of you, has employed you. It might not be the dream job, but you can work. You can study and you can do it for his glory. And sometimes maybe instead of thinking about what we deserve, we should think about what he's done for us and what it cost him. And if we think about that just for a second, I bet you going into work tomorrow gets a whole lot easier. Because our perspective is on the glory of God. And he says, I want you to be my light in your workplace, in your school, and in your home. So the question for us today is simple. Who do you work for? When you go into your office, when you go into your home, when you go into your place of work, even if it's volunteer, whom do you work for? Have you looked at God? Have you looked at man and said, I'm going to write out a check, God. Here's my life. You fill in the amount, the destination, and the vocation because my calling is to bring glory to you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that our lives would be a blank check before you that we would glorify you in our work, that we would be fulfilled not because of our own efforts, but because we know we are working for you and for your glory. We love you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.